could say morality, that he was blameless according to the law. Like, when he saw all the things that the law taught and he knew them so well, I mean, he was trying to line his life up exactly with the teaching of the word. And so, so morality would have been on his resume. And again, is it wrong? Is it bad to, to try to live like Jesus and be a good person? No, but, but where this is, you're going to see, like, that, that cannot be a resume that makes us worthy of God to accept us. And that can just, again, lead us to compare ourselves with others. Well, I'm better than those people. I'm more moral and all this. So, so uh, I, I wonder, so maybe I've helped stretch those categories a little bit. It's beyond eighth-day baptism and Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, there may be some things here uh, that we need to think through. Again, they're good things, but they're not things that are going to cause us to be accepted by God. There's a verse in the Old Testament, God is so honest with us, where he says in Isaiah 64, 6, that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. Okay, just kind of tuck that away for a little bit. We'll come back to that. So let me just add a, a couple other that may be on our resume list today. There's a, there's a great study. I recommend that you take it sometime or go through it. It's called The Gospel-Centered Life by Bob Thune. And he gives other type of resume items that we may put on there. Like, for example, uh, job righteousness. I'm a hard worker, so God will reward me. Or family righteousness. I do the right thing as a parent. I'm more godly than other parents who can't control their kids. Or, like, intellectual righteousness. I'm better read. I'm more articulate. I'm more culturally savvy than other people, so that makes me better. Or I'm schedule, I have schedule righteousness. I'm self-disciplined. I'm rigorous in my schedule, and I don't waste time like everybody else does. Or political righteousness, like I vote for the right candidate. I am involved in the right party. That makes me more acceptable to God. And so, and so when Paul listed his resume and just kind of shared that to the audience— I would say to us, again, I read through that, and most of us are like, what's, what's the deal there? In Paul's day, hearing that resume, there would have been some gasps in the crowd. Like, wow, you, you, that's a strong resume. Like, that's, a, that's an amazing resume. And so there would have been, like, some awe at what Paul just said. But I would say that that awe was nothing compared to what happened next. After Paul just kind of, you know, I'm better than you, I got more than you, all this, the next thing he said was, but you know what? My resume is going in the trash can. My resume is rubbish. And the word rubbish is kind of a softened word. Uh, some actually think it may be dung or like the, you know, the four-letter S word. That it was a very cruel, crude word that, that his resume was now, like all the things that he did were now rubbish. It was at least spoiled food that was fed like as scraps to dogs. Again, maybe another link to the dog reference. But, but Paul said like all these things that I was so proud of on my resume— Man, something happened where that, that resume to me is totally worthless now. Like, I have found something far greater than that resume, and that resume now is in the trash. Like, that would be even bigger all. Like, whoa, what did you find? Like, what happened that made something so valuable to you become trash to you? And so, again, another college basketball analogy. A couple weeks ago, uh, one of the biggest hyped games in, in several years um, was on national TV, it was being built up, uh, it was Duke in North Carolina, and Zion Williamson is this like stud freshman that everybody had to just watch play. 
And if you heard about that or saw the game, about 30 seconds into the game, he was making a cut and his Nike shoe totally blew out. And he slipped and he tweaked his knee and he's missed the last three games. We don't know how serious the injury is. It doesn't appear to be too serious. But what a major embarrassment for Nike. Like right in this big game, the biggest star is wearing your shoe and his shoe blows out. Like it wasn't bad enough that the shoe blew out, but Barack Obama was also in the crowd. And when they panned in close on him, you could read his lips and say, his shoe blew out. <laughs> and so, man, the Nike, every Nike executive around the country is like going, oh, no. And so I read the next day that Nike stock, just from that one thing, plummeted $3 billion. It's like, Wow. But then I realized that was only 1.7 of Nike's worth. Like, they're worth $130 billion. So I was like, well, still, I guess that's big, but not really, you know. And so it's kind of a blip to them. To me, that just sounds devastating. But imagine, like, what Paul's doing here would be as if Nike stock went totally down for, like, $130 billion down to $1 billion. Like, just totally plummeted. Like, something happened to Paul that made him take something that was so valuable that now is just instantly in the trash. What, what was it? What happened? So what happened was that he met Jesus. Jesus just completely changed his life. And so let's read what happened to him. And again, there's some phrasing in there that maybe doesn't hit us right away, but I, I can't wait to kind of dig into it with you. And in typical Paul, passion, Paul fashion, 8 through 11 is just one long sentence. So it's just loaded with concepts. But listen to what he said. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What changed? Paul met Jesus. And the wording here, I love it, is uh, the word know isn't just like know about or know generally some facts about. It's the know that means personally, like relationally, intimately, experientially, I know Jesus. And that changed everything. And that's powerful. And so some of the terms here, I know it's tax season. Maybe some of your accountants are working on your assets, your liabilities. A lot of these terms are from that world of, of what's an asset, what's a liability. And, and Paul's saying like, you know, when I met Jesus, everything got shifted into the liability column, and I just had Jesus as my, as my asset. And so you look specifically, well, what was it? What did you gain with Jesus? I think there's two things we see here. First and foremost is righteousness, that it's his righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. And so again, you might say, well, what is righteous? Like, what, what's that mean? And so Remember, like, when I said earlier, like, when you fill out a resume and you, if you were to go to apply for a job, you know, it's, it's you saying, I, this is why you should hire me. And so the righteousness would be like that employer saying, I see this resume and I accept you. I welcome you. I want you to work 
for me. And so in a different grid, it would be us coming before God and saying, God, I, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to be able to pray to you and know that you are with me and that you love me and that you'll help me. And so, um, and to have God say to you, yes, yes, I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Um, you are with me forever. Remember that safe place Paul described earlier? That, to know that you are the people of God. Um, that, that's what righteousness looks like, that you are accepted by God, that he sees you, not your sin, not your brokenness, but he accepts you. And Paul says, when I have Jesus, I have God's righteousness. I am accepted by God. And so um, that it all comes about through faith, that we put our faith in Jesus and what he has done for us in the cross. And this is where the gospel kicks in. This is where this is what Paul devoted his life to, the simplicity of the way that you become uh, God's people, a person of God, a child of God, is through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. So we are all sinful, we are all broken, we are all separated from God, but Jesus offers every one of us the greatest trade that you'll ever make. Like you give Jesus your sin and your brokenness and... Um, you ask him to forgive you, to be your savior, and then in, in place of your sin and the judgment you deserve and being separated from God, your brokenness, he gives you his righteousness, his uh, sinless identity before the Father. His, it's like you can now access God through Jesus because of what he has done for you, all right? And so bottom line, what Paul's getting at here is like, so you can, you can have two things on your resume right now. You have two kinds of things. One side you can have all the achievements you've ever done, like all the reasons God should take you because you go to church, because you're as good as you can be, because whatever, and you can show that to God, but that's gonna be like filthy rags. Like God's gonna look at that and say, no, okay? Or your resume can just simply have one word on it and can just say Jesus and say, Father, I, this, is, this is my application. This is my resume. It's Jesus, what he's done for me. And this is, my faith is in this resume and it is that resume that God says, I accept. Like you, you are now my person. You are now my son, my daughter. You are now in my family. You are now in the people of God. And so, and so what do you gain when you gain Jesus? You gain his righteousness. You gain the standing uh, before God that Jesus has, okay? We'll come back to that in a little bit. So that's, that's one. That's huge. Okay, and so then, Paul, what else did you get with the surpassing knowledge of Jesus? He describes it as the power of resurrection. The power of resurrection. Man, at first glance, that, man, that sounds cool. Give me that power. Like, I can just go and do, like, amazing things with just that power. In fact, if you're a Christian, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Like, so you do have power to fight sin, to, to do things for God and all that, but but I think Paul's talking about something just a little bit different than just that power of just the resurrection because listen to what he said. He said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I think what Paul is looking at here is that when I gain Christ, I gain his righteousness, and I gain the power of resurrection. This whole resurrection story that Jesus' life is all about. If you were with us a couple weeks ago when we were in Philippians chapter two, 
Paul told that beautiful story of Jesus that even though he was in the presence of God, he existed as God, he was fully God, he laid aside those privileges, he became uh, a, a, a person, he became a servant, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then God exalted him and raised him above the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think when Paul says, I, 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 have, I am drawn now to the power of resurrection, I think he's drawn to that whole story. Like I'm drawn to live my life like Jesus did. Like I'm not living for myself. That I'm going to lay aside my privileges as being righteous before God. Um, have I, man, I'm sorry, I get confused what I said in last service in this one. But in verse 1, do you remember in Philippians, where we're saints and servants, the two identities that I think permeate this whole book is that saint means you're righteous, accepted by God. You're God's people. He cares for you. He provides for you. And so that's, that's one of your identities in Christ is to be a saint, but you're called to be a servant of Christ too. And those are the two identities we cling to. And so we have the righteousness uh, of God through Christ, but then we're also drawn to this story, this pattern of laying aside our privileges so that we can serve, so that other people can find out about who Jesus is. And so that's why Paul says, man, I want to share in his sufferings. Like, I just, I want to be a part of what Jesus did. I want to live like Jesus lived. I want to be humble. I want to be sacrificial. Um, Wade painted it beautifully last week when he kept calling it the Jesus way. Um, what others need, I give. Like, that's, that's a great summary of Jesus' life. What others need, I give. And Paul says, man, I have been a recipient of that. I've been a recipient of the Jesus way. He saw my need, and he, he humbled himself, and he met that need. And Paul says, now that's the power of the resurrection life. I want to live that way so that this life isn't just about me, but this life is about being acquainted with the sufferings of Christ, even being like him in his death, so that I can attain the resurrection of the dead. And so it's a calling to a whole new way to live. And so um, what, this is why it's such a huge deal to Paul, that he was warning them about the dogs and the Pharisees, because those guys are creeping in, and they're just diluting the power of the gospel. And so let me just lay out for us, like, what two entirely different lives would look like if you're clinging to the resume of, like, our religious activities and deeds, or if we're clinging to the resume that just says Jesus on it, okay? What would that look like? What would the difference be? So a person clinging to this resume, it's going to be all about them, all about what, what I can do. Over here, it's going to be all about Jesus. Okay, so for over here, a religious person sees everybody as good or bad. And so the good people are loved by God, but the bad people are hated by God. So that's kind of the driving force over here. But if we're in Jesus, we see that everyone is bad. Everyone is sinful. But yet everyone is loved and pursued by Jesus. It's a whole different way of treating people and of seeing yourself and seeing the world. Let's say you're over here clinging to this one again. Uh, religion, this resume is going to be all about my performance. What am, what am I going to do next? Or what am I going to keep doing? And there's a lot of insecurity in that because there might be some things on your resume last week that you didn't do so good at this week. Oh, I have to take that one off. Or I'm not as good at that anymore. Or I'm not like, so there'd be some, your resume is constantly changing. Over here, man, there's a simple resume. It's Jesus. And nothing's going to change there. Like he's already died. He's already done the work. You're already accepted. So there's a confidence and a security and a peace that comes from the Jesus resume. Uh, what about this one? Um, 
uh, if you're holding this resume, I think you're going to waver back and forth between, between pride and desperation. I think over here, like if you think you're doing great with your resume and God's going to accept you, man, you're just going to be all about yourself and all about what you're doing and you're going to look down on everybody else. You'll either be there or you'll be in despair, like I said earlier, because there might be things on that resume you're not doing that well anymore. But over here, again, if, if Jesus is your resume, there's going to be a security, a humility, a joy, a willingness to serve, knowing you've been forgiven, you've been shown mercy, and you're going to do the same thing to the people in your life. So this should be a no-brainer. It's like, I don't know, a long time ago, there used to be Highlights Magazine, and they'd have the cartoon with Goofus and Gallant, like the Goofus guy was the total moron, and the uh, Gallant guy was perfect. Like, so, and one would be obviously wrong, the other one obviously right. So I'm going to give you kind of a similar test. Like, which church would you want to be a part of? Like, people that are resume clinging, clinging to their standards of righteousness. Like, if you step into a group like that, what would that feel like? Like, you might be kind of checked out. People might be looking over at your resume, like, what have you done? Comparing it to theirs. Um, there'd be kind of an insecurity there. There wouldn't be a lot of joy there. Wouldn't be a lot of humility there. Wouldn't be a lot of unity there. Um, so imagine, though, stepping into a room of people, and the resume just simply says Jesus. Imagine a room of people just coming up to you. The big deal is you, not them. Uh, they're listening to you. They're serving you. Uh, and then maybe when you got around to start asking them questions, they wouldn't tell you a lot about their achievements. They would just tell you a lot about Jesus and what he's done for them. Imagine that scenario played out in friendships, like which friend would be a better friend. Imagine that played out in marriages. Imagine parenting in those two different styles. Like, this is a big deal, and this is why Paul is making a big deal of it, is that the, the key to all of this is knowing Jesus and surpassing value of knowing Jesus. And so what I like to do, and this was a big deal to Paul because he, if you've been with us, he wants this church to be united, to be humble, to be all about advancing the gospel by laying down their lives so other people would know the gospel. That's why this was so key. So I wanted just to kind of wrap up, give us a couple of assessments today, to just a couple questions to ask you to help see like which resume are you truly clinging to today? Okay, the first one uh, is a question that's been asked for many years. Um, and it's a little bit more of it at first, but just kind of bear with me. So let's say that we were, for some reason today, this is our last day on the planet. Like we go home and we choke on some chicken or like whatever happens to us. Like we just, we go belly up today and uh, we come into the presence of God and God asks us, okay, why, why should I let you into heaven? Okay, which, which resume are you going to show them? Are you going to show them like all the stuff that, that you've done and why you think you deserve to get in? Um, and I remember Isaiah 64, 6, God would look at that and say, that's a bunch of filthy rags. Like that's nothing to me. But, but what if your resume were to simply say Jesus? And God the Father sees that and he's thrilled and pleased with what Jesus has done. And that's your only claim to get into heaven. Um, honestly, which would you say? And I, I would say in the last three years of talking about the gospel with people that attend Parkview in my office or coffee shops, I'd say this is an issue in our church. Like I still think there's people who go, well, you know, I'm trying hard. I'm going to church. I'm going to get, I promise I'll get baptized. I'd like to join the church. And it's like, now the simplicity of the, I mean, those are good, those are good things, right? Like Bible knowledge and heritage and family. Um, but really, the only, the only thing on your resume is Jesus. 
knowing Jesus and what he's done for you, trusting Jesus, all right? So you got to ask yourself, what would you truly say to God? Would it be your resume or would it be just simply Jesus? Here's another one. Maybe it's, it's less morbid, but I think it's incredibly practical. Let me ask you this question. Let's say for some reason today, you suddenly see the gaze of God, like out of all of his creation that he could be looking at, he's just looking at you, like eyes on eyes. Like my first response might be to step out of that and go, like, honestly, God, look at something else. But like, you can't. Like, he's, he's just locked in on you. Just you and him in a stare. Okay, and he's just looking at you. Answer this. What, what would the look be on his face when he's looking at you? Be, be flat out honest with yourself. Like, what do you think, he, what would be on his face? I, I'm, I'm afraid there's a lot of us this morning that would picture God's face, it's kind of a scowl, or like impatience, like when are you gonna finally get this stuff, you know? Or um, maybe he's rolling his eyes. Maybe you think like he wouldn't even take any time looking at yours, he's just gonna be looking around for somebody better to look at. Like honestly, like what would God's face look like if he's just looking at you today? Let's, let's go to this side. Like what if though you were to look at God and there's just a beam, there's a smile, like there's excitement and there's joy on his face. Like if he could, he would just come and just hug you. It's like, like have you seen those videos of soldiers deployed and then they surprise the kids, like the dad will come to school or I saw one where the mom came to school and the two girls were there. I mean, just the joy and the elation of being reunited. And, And so I think that question has a lot to do with which resume you're clinging to. If you're seeing scowl and eye rolls and impatience, you're clinging to this resume, you guys. You know, because this will never be good enough. This will never deserve a smile from God because we, we can't get there. We can't do it on our own. But I promise you, like, if you just are holding up this simple resume, Jesus, the look on God's face towards you is just a smile because he's seeing you through the righteousness of his son. He's looking at you as if he would be looking at his son. That, that, honestly, if we could get that into our heads and fully under, that would help us fully understand what the gospel is, that would fully liberate us um, to not live for ourselves, um, but to live for others, to understand that we are saints and now we can live as servants like Jesus did, that we're covered, we're accepted, God is smiling, so that frees us to help other people understand how simple but how profound the gospel is. So let me pray, let me pray for us. And let me just start here. Um, if, if that is new turf for you this morning or you honestly don't know which resume you're clinging to today, um, could you please, like I would love to talk to you or any pastor here, any elder, your friend who brought you, a community group leader. Like, guys, today, would you make today the day you just crystallize what the gospel really is? Would today be the day that you meet Jesus just like Paul did and his resume was instantly rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. So Jesus, thank you for what you have done for us, how you have accepted us, you gave yourself for us, and I pray that you would help us understand the gospel and then live out the gospel realities that we are saints and servants and that we would be uh, a people who would contend together for the gospel, that you would unite us, that you would keep us humble, and that we would keep pointing more and more people to you. In your great name we pray, amen.